What's up, We Built This Brand listeners? This is your host, Chris Hill, and today we're talking to Asterios Kokonos. He is a freelance writer who has done a lot of writing in advertising and marketing over the years and worked with some huge brands. He's worked on viral marketing campaigns, and yes, I do mean actual viral content, and has a very interesting career balance between having a background in comedy and a writing background that has helped him to create some very interesting, influential campaigns. So unfortunately, we couldn't talk a lot of detail about the brands he worked with specifically, but you know, go look him up on LinkedIn. You'll get a feel for what he does. We'll include a link here if he'll let us. This was a great interview with the Stereos. It's very wide ranging, so be prepared. We go all over the place. We talk about what makes content viral, how he got his start in advertising if he was a stand-up comic in LA, how did he end up in New York, and everything that happened in between. It's quite the journey that he's had with his career, and we talk a little bit about that. We also talk about what it takes to be edgy in this day and age and why it's better to play things safe or, frankly, why it's not better to play things safe and when to take risks and when not to within advertising. So overall, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I think you will too. So let's get into it. Welcome to We Built This Brand. I'm excited to be joined today by Asterios Kokonos. Hello. Asterios, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Um, Asterios is a freelance copywriter and um, creative director. And honestly, he's an all around cool guy. I've gotten to know him through um, one of my employees, John Zwick. And we actually share him as a um, as an editor. And he's been great for both of us. And he was like, you two need to talk. I just think you'd have a fun time talking. And Asterios knows a ton about branding. He's worked for some big brands. And we'll just, yeah, I'll just let you take it away from here and share a little bit about yourself. So Asterios, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Look, if you want to know about me, I'm a copywriter. I'm a creative director. I'm like an ad guy, advertising guy. And I've worked for some of the biggest brands on planet Earth. And I cannot tell you their names, but you've heard of them. You might be drinking them right now. They These <laughs> products may be in your house, improving your kids' health and safety. Look out for these great brands. And um, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, I write TV commercials and I do big campaigns and I pitch big, crazy PR stunts and stuff that goes viral. And I have a lot of fun doing it. That's right. That's right. So we're going to dive into a lot of that tonight and talk about the creative side of branding, the creative side of marketing, um, creating these campaigns and doing all of that. So let's start way back. What did you really want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? Well, when I was young, I thought it'd be pretty cool to be a baseball player. Didn't work out because baseball players are notoriously uncool. There's not a lot of baseball player swag, you know, <laughs> basketball players, football players. Look, with basketball and football players, they're like the elites. They're immediately celebrities. And then with hockey players, oh, it's like the working man's profession. Oh, they make good husbands. Baseball players, oh, you're stuck somewhere in the middle. So it <laughs> didn't work out with baseball. So instead, I started doing comedy, stand-up comedy, things like that. And I was like the only Asian-American stand-up comedian in Los Angeles who had the build to play Genghis Khan in a series of viral videos for hungry man dinners where Genghis Khan <laughs> travels in a magical freezer to the far future and <laughs> discovers hungry man dinners and thinks they're awesome. Wow. 
I, you know, I can actually see it though. Now that you say that, Google Genghis Khan stares Kogos. I think you'll you'll see a lot of pictures of me in a ten thousand dollar <laughs> costume. Wow. And um, well, oh god, that costume cost way more than I did. And so, yeah, I and so they they were like no other Asian American comedians who were like beefy in town. They were all too tiny. So I just got the part. Like I didn't audition like they just gave me the role and i was like oh I, then i will do it and then they were like well you're a comedian why don't you write some of these viral spots too and i was like yes i will and then that agency hung on to me and then i hopped from there i got recommended somewhere else i got recommended somewhere else and then the next thing you know it's going on like 15 years of advertising just because i happened to be stocky enough yeah, that's wild. So, so you you were doing comedy in L.A. It sounds like, and it sounds like you had no an, no anticipation, no desire to go into advertising at first either. Well, how do you get in? Is right. it's like it's that's the weird thing where it's like, look, you get into advertising because you went to college with someone, and then their dad worked in advertising. Like otherwise, you can't. Like I don't know, you can get an internship, which no it's like well if you're poor then no you can't do that like you can't like choose to work for free in the most expensive cities in america so it's like look i got lucky like i fit a need at a certain time and then like when i got and then like i got my foot in the door and i've kind of you know been in the door since that's awesome there's a lot of need for humor, obviously in advertising to draw and attract attention and i'm sure having that those comedy chops really helped with that it is fun to be able to be the most fun part of someone's day you know to go in and pitch a big crazy comedy thing even if they don't buy it they're like look i may not like that thing but i like those guys and then i don't know something comes along and we can work together on that we work on that it's like you know no one wants to watch an ad so what's in it for us like either blow my mind with this incredible product or be funny or something. And it's like for a lot of brands, clearly the answer to the question of like how can people pay, pay attention to me is to, you know, be funny, be outrageous, you know, be humorous. And it's, I don't know, it's, it's worked for me for a while. I've been, I've stayed employed. And um, we all love employment, don't we? <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> It's uh, it's it's good for good for surviving, I guess. But that's that's really cool. So you've you've done a lot with comedy. You've done a lot like the branding piece. The thing that I'm really curious about, you say viral videos. How did they know they were going to go viral? I mean, I feel like at least for me living in East Tennessee and a more a more rural community, I hear people say viral and we hear them say go viral. It's not viral. It's viral. And they really think that anything halfway funny is going to all of a sudden get eaten up by the Internet and be amazing. But how how do you become a part of something like that? And how do you create that? Is it just magic or money or what? Well, the interesting thing is, it's like I almost started when I used the phrase viral video to describe like my first advertising job because it was before we had the term like there wasn't the term viral video or like Internet videos. It was like, I don't think. Did we upload them to YouTube? They lived on like a weird Facebook and a MySpace page, you know, but look, if the question is, how do you get something to go viral right now today in 2023, it's to do something easy to describe that somebody cares about. Like it can be the dumbest thing in the world. It could be like, uh, 
Oh, what's it good? Okay, yeah, look, uh, they're these kids, and for 20 years they've wanted this like Nintendo game called Mother 3 Translated oh, yeah. from Jap- Japanese. You know about this? Mm-hmm, I do. You know, can you explain this? Would you like to hop in? I, I don't know how how well I know this. I just I just know the Nintendo fandom, and I know that m- the Mother series is a big series, and yeah, there's this one game that's just never been um translated into us and it's like i i swear every time i'm on reddit or something in some uh, some nintendo forum they're like oh we're gonna bring this retro game in please let it be mother three and it's like okay yeah that's <laughs> it that is exactly right you know about as much as i know about this thing, okay good <laughs> which is that other people care about it exactly so it doesn't matter well, let's say your gum let's say your big red gum big red gum presents like the big red push to save mother three and it's like i don't know we get a bunch of uh, signatures and we i don't know, we make a commercial and we donate a bunch of charity to money to save big redwood trees uh, some crap but like that's what it takes to go viral is like you gotta like do something that people care about they're these kids that really do care about mother three being translated they really do care and it's like, if you solve their problem, they will buy your gum or your tanning spray or your car forever. It's like these these links don't even need to be very close. You don't need to be like a Mother's Day greeting card company or like you don't need to be like promoting like three of something. It's just be anything. It's like if... Because if there's one thing people don't care about, it's you and your product. If they did, you wouldn't be asking yourself, how can I go viral and get people to care about my product? <laughs> so what you have to do is you have to find something they do care about and then help them. And if you can do that, you can go viral and forge relationships and gain fans for life. But the problem is it costs money to do stuff and you get in trouble if you do something and it goes wrong. So there's risk. Yes. And the easiest thing to do is to do nothing. But you can really only do nothing once you're successful and the money is already rolling in. (laughs) So you have to do something to get yourself attention. But trying to get yourself attention also creates risk. So it's this like very interesting dance that like must be done before you can advertise a product and there's a lot of billable hours in there for people like me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of effort and creativity that goes into stuff and I'm sure stuff gets canned all the time too, because of the risk or the issues or the challenges that come with creating content like that as well. Nobody ever got fired for saying no. Like that's the thing. It's like, it's your, it's the yeses that get you fired. You can do nothing and accomplish nothing, and plenty of people do. And it's pretty smart because it's like if you can just find a way to hide in a big organization and not make waves, eventually you can leave with your 401k fully vested. (laughs) But, you know, if you're not looking to, like, live, like, just kind of a safe life, if you're looking to, like, go out there and win and succeed and, like, be the biggest, craziest brand and the biggest selling product there is. Well, nobody got there without risk unless the product was so good that the advertising didn't matter. You know, and that that all comes down to positioning, right? Like making sure that you've got a brand 
that is positioned in such a way that you're maybe first to the market or people just associate that brand with whatever that is. Like, you know, we used to say, you know, we would go to Xerox something as opposed to copy it or, you know, you put on a Band-Aid, but a Band-Aid is a brand. It's not the actual bandage you put on your hand. But everybody associates it so closely that they don't need a bunch of marketing to advertise new Band-Aids. I mean, I don't know the last time I saw a Band-Aid ad on TV. It would mean something was wrong. Right. If you yeah, saw that, a Band-Aid on TV, it'd be like, uh-oh, there's some sort of new kind of spray skin that has made our product irrelevant. We better have like a bunch of mommies putting Band-Aids on a bunch of kids. <laughs> I have them all over my house, by the way. I have two young kids and they lo- they think they're stickers. They are stickers. <laughs> they're not doing anything. They're just there to make the kid feel like something got done. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, most of the time you're exactly right too. Cause it's like, I got a, they got a tiny little scratch that didn't even break the surface, but there's a bandaid on it. Yes. It's a look, the band, what you're selling with the bandaid is you're selling the end of the story. Right. And it's done. There we go. We kissed it. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> look, if you're in a situation where you need more than one bandaid, it means you're dying. Right. Like two band-aids is not the solution to what one band-aid couldn't fix. But I know what you're saying about like, uh, you know, essentially becoming, well, the market leader, which is interesting because the moment you become the market leader, it's incumbent upon you to take absolutely no risk and do nothing differently. <laughs> because why, you know, m- why mess with a good thing? Like if something's working. Yeah. I mean, look at, look at what's just happened with Bud Light. I mean, in that situation, like regardless of how you feel about the issues surrounding it, because I know there's probably a varying array of opinions on it. Like they botched that from beginning to end and like they lost market share as a result of it, but Hey, they got kid rock drinking it again. So who knows? Yeah, exactly. It's like, that's the thing about people who are like, I will never drink Bud Light again. It's like, until it's the most convenient beer there is <laughs> which kid rock found out at a baseball stadium it's like well bud light is the closest okay so if you're not willing to walk like two more minutes for a different beer then how much do you really care about bud light it's like it's like all this outrage is so quickly disposable but yeah listen the problem with bud light wasn't the problem with Bud Light wasn't the, the the influencer campaign. The problem was the response to the influencer campaign. Right. The story so quickly became that they didn't that they didn't stand behind like a freelancer they hired. Like that's the problem. Like the problem is like you hired this person, you hired her to like make these like Bud Light posts. <laughs> and the posts then the posts come under attack and then it's like your instinct is to hide. Like what? That's not, you can't do that. That's that person looking to retire with a 401k. Yes. I get why you want to hide. It's easier than dealing with whatever's happening outside. It is easier. Closing your eyes will provide a short term (laughs) solution. It's just a long term problem. Look, just on a completely different thing about Bud Light, it's like for a long time, both Bud Light and Disney were the kind of place where you could have like a, not Bud Light, Anheuser-Busch and Disney were the kind of place where you could kind of like have like a 50-year career. Like, as long as you didn't like mess up anything or I don't know, piss off the wrong person, like 
you could like start in the mailroom and then graduate as I don't know, junior vice president of garbage, whatever, who cares? <laughs> yeah. But it's like, oh my God, I can't believe how fast the culture is moving. Where like if you told me like a couple of years ago that like Bud Light and Disney would like be facing like stock market responses to like cultural and political issues, I'd be like, What the what? They're like unsinkable titans. It's like if Coca-Cola were to suddenly encounter some sort of uh, controversy and then all of a sudden like Coke is number one. It's like, what do you mean? What do you, uh, Pepsi's number one. It's like, what do you mean Pepsi's number one? Pepsi has been number one since Back to the Future Part 2 was in theaters. Like, what do you mean Pepsi's number one? Remember that guy Biff? Um, yes. <laughs> of course I do. Yeah, he kind of he kind of came to life in reality, didn't he? Yeah, well... I don't know. Was it Biff or I guess that would be it Biff. It was Biff. Yeah. Would it be they, Biff they said the they based third? him on a certain former president. When you which say we're not a political podcast, so we're not gonna go too far down that road. When but, you say Biff, well, it's like, okay, well, you mean Biff Tannen, yeah. who is Marty McFly's age. Did Biff become president or did Biff's shitty grandkid become friend i think it was biff it was straight up biff who became president because because it would have been 30 years 30 years from the 50s would have been the 80s would have been the 80s yeah and they went to the alternate reality right and he's 18 in high school so 20 so 28 38 48 he's old enough to run right biff tannen yeah great great grandson of wild dog griff tannen (laughs) wow (laughs) Exactly. Who would have thought? Exactly. To the highest. But anyways. But listen. But anyway, it's like, what's like, what do you, what do you mean Coca-Cola's got? Who, who made that commercial with the, with Chris, with the Jenner kid where they, they got pissed off about the guy? Oh, I forgot about, uh. Remember that? There was like a Jenner, like a Kendall Jenner Pepsi commercial. Oh, where- yes. The Pepsi commercial. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was like the most cringeworthy political statement. Um, like, yeah, it didn't matter what side of the aisle you were on. That was just awkward. It was just so poorly done. And yeah, in bad taste, almost as bad as Pepsi. It's imagine it's like if Coke had done that, would that have been it for Coke? <laughs> like, I <laughs> look, I have no I have no idea how Coke has survived because of those commercials, remember those commercials a year or two ago where like someone's grandma ghost in the painting helped them cook Thanksgiving dinner? No, I'm not remembering that one, to be honest with you. You didn't see the Pepsi, the Coke commercial. Like, sorry, I keep mixing these two <laughs> great products. I, I can't. No, I, I really don't remember that You one. didn't see the Coke commercial where the grandma ghost in the painting helps Thanksgiving dinner get made. I did not. I'm going to have to look this up now. It happens. And I'm watching this and I'm like, what do you mean that grandma ghost is and then and then it's for it's for coke it's like what are you doing what is this i think that's the thing with these giant brands where it's like most of what they make is like stuff that's very hard to object to it's kind of like you really gotta think about getting pissed off at this grandma ghost ad are you seeing the grandma ghost i i am um i'm seeing some stuff but i'm not seeing I don't know. I don't want to click through these while we're it's talking. Okay. Um, That's okay. Don't want to get too distracted. That's but yeah, right. I think Coke gets sentimental in the holidays. Yes. Yeah. There's a painting. Okay. She's looking on. She's like, you did it. She's like, I may be dead, but Thanksgiving lives on thanks to you and Coke. Yep. You see it? Yep. I see it. I see it. Okay. It's like, what the, what? 
Yeah. It's I like, mean, yeah. the when I think of Coke going viral, like talking about the risk factor, like I've noticed like they've done some things with like programming. It was several years ago, like a programming a Coke machine to like give Cokes away. Oh, and, the happiness project. Yes. yes. The machine. Like it's safe. They play it safe. It's fun and viral, but it's safe. Who's going to get offended at the happiness project? We're running out of room on, we're running out of safety room. And the thing is, like, if you're playing safe, you better be making that money. God bless you, Coca-Cola. You keep raking it in. You know, as we talk about creativity, as we talk about, you know, the safe side, what about the brands that don't play it safe? The edgier stuff that comes out, like the, the people that really ride the line. I don't know. Have you written anything of that nature that you can disclose? <laughs> I can't disclose anything and I never no. will. Oh, but, no. Right, listen, I will say Let's this. Let's talk around it. <laughs> listen, I will say this. Uh, I don't know if there are any brands right now that are like, it's the appearance of edge, but it's not edge. It's not like actual transgressive stuff that could get you in trouble. It's stuff that like appeals to like a kid who wants a danger, but not too much. You know, like a Hardy Boys mystery. They're not going to get tortured. They may get roughed up a little, these Hardy Boys. But then you just got to send them a message. Stay out of Riverdale and stay off this case. I'm telling you right now, what's happening with, with the Lodge family fortune is none of your business. That's right. I am pitching a Hardy Boys Archie crossover for no reason. <laughs> I'm trying right. to answer a question. Yeah. Edgy brands. I mean. I think of like liquid death when I think of like quote unquote edgy, but kind of meet that description you're talking about of like. That's exactly what I'm talking about where it's the appearance of edge, but it's not actually edgy. Yeah. No, it's not really, but it's death. So it sounds really edgy. No, it's nostalgic. That's the thing. Death metal 80s, like horn hands, hair rock. Is the safest thing you could be now. I mean, it's basically it's, gore. Yeah. It's liquid gore. Is what yes. it is. Especially if you've seen their mascot and their characters and stuff, man. I agree. I listen. I I'm trying to look. The edgiest thing you could do right now would be to help someone in need. It's like the it's like it's unfortunate. The edgiest thing you could do right now would be to create products and services that help the distressed community it's like the biggest issue that we're facing right now as a country is like the migrant crisis it's like oh okay but no that's political all right well global warming yeah that's political uh, can we help gay people that's somehow political too and it's just like everything's political to the point where you're like how about a movie about barbie and it stars barbie oh, no, that's political believe me that's and then political. they made that political you're right i didn't even think about that fight the patriarchy man people are upset about that no i forgot i forgot that there was a whole outrage cycle about that movie about that toy yeah no good point i've withdrawn yeah yeah i mean everything everything is political these days i mean they might as well make the next lego movie everything's political now instead yeah. of everything is awesome Exactly. Everything's political. Yes. But you get the idea. I do. <laughs> of course I get it. It's just, it's, um, it's insane trying to, trying to navigate that field, like being a copywriter and creating this kind of content. I'm sure you, you deal with that probably on a day in day out basis. Just thinking about how can I maintain creative 
control and navigate that field. So how do you navigate that? A lot of it is earned through experience. You know, luckily I've been in this game for a while and it doesn't matter what it is. There's almost no chance it's going to get made. Like it could be the safest or the most dangerous thing. It's just stuff moves too fast. Budgets get reallocated and the person that was in charge of this thing gets fired or promoted. And now there's a new person and they got to put their stamp on it. And like, so it's just like in advertising, almost nothing gets made. And so there's almost nothing to lose by trying something big or crazy because if it's not going to get made anyway, it was, it might as well not get made great. And and what do you mean by in advertising, nothing gets, almost nothing gets made. You mean so many people are saying no, that nothing gets made. Hmm, how do I explain this? All right. Let's say there's a new uh, kind of painkiller. There's like a new kind of painkiller for your brain and it's great. <laughs> it makes your headaches go away. It makes your brain feel great. All right. So, you know, that thing's coming out. And you're like, all right, well, we got to start thinking about advertising for it. And then like two people are going to spend like a year working on like the strategy and like they're going to like do a bunch of focus groups and they're going to like test a bunch of stuff. And they're probably going to get like AI now. They're going to say like, we also used a computer. And then it's going to be like, oh, crap. Okay, well, we only have like eight months to make these commercials. So then like we're going to pitch a bunch of stuff and pitch a bunch of stuff. And then the client's going to tell us that they don't like it and this, that. And we're going to go back and forth, we're going back and forth. We're going to write up a script and then we're going to cast it and we're going to hire people. And then like, we're going to book like a thing and we're like going to go to Brazil and it's like, all right, we're going to Brazil. We have our visas. And then it's like, ah, it turns out we're not making that pill anymore for your brain. <laughs> and it's like, and that's advertising. Or it's like, ah, the person that approved the, the pill is now the CEO of like our parent company and the guy that replaced him doesn't care about pills the guy that replaced him likes syringes so we're not doing it now or it'll just be like you come in one day and it's like someone was cheating on someone else and now you don't work in a place it was like it turns out this whole this whole place that you work for was owned by a weird family and now the whole family's fighting and we're all fired it's like that's advertising you're what you pitch the chances of getting made are like one half of 1%. So have fun with it. Go in there and pitch your heart out and pitch the best thing you possibly can. Because God forbid, whatever you pitch does survive. If you don't like it, you're stuck with it for two years. Because like that's also how long it could take this dumb thing to get made. That is a good point. <laughs> so make it good. <laughs> or at least make it something you won't get sick of. So, so how do you, um, what's your process when it comes to that? Is it just, you got to throw a bunch of stuff against the wall, always make it as fun as possible. Do you have like a, um, a thought process for this? Like, how do you keep, keep going in that regard? The fact that it is a team effort is incredibly helpful. The fact that like you're in a room with a bunch of people and they are facing the same problem that you are like, there's a blank page. And it's either fill the page or get fired. And so it's like, well, that'll make you fill a page pretty fast. But I mean, for me, I think it is just about coming up with as many ideas as possible because there's always going to be something you don't expect. 
like a lawyer is going to come out of nowhere and tell you that like you can't use the word and and they'll have a really good reason and you <laughs> what are you going to do argue with them like in front of the client like an asshole no you're just like okay i can't use the word and well that invalidates some of my commercials but not all of them it's just like yeah shit's gonna happen and so it's like it's better to have a lot of stuff with you i could i could definitely see that i mean doing creative work at humble pod and the things that we do like we definitely run into like oh this is a great idea we need to go down this road and all of a sudden we can't do it because someone else has already named it that or already has that branding or already has that idea in mind and so yeah i can i can definitely identify with that with that piece of it and fortunate enough i i know i like once you described it like i get exactly what you're saying i've been in enough scenarios where you know in front of big companies where we have had creative stuff out there and it just dies on the vine because of exactly what you described anything it could be just the you know the the leaves were the wrong color this fall so we're not doing it and um you know things just go wrong so yeah it's a very improvisational field which i'm sure you know ties back to your comedy background is probably helpful <laughs> no it's look it's it's fun it's fun to be able to like cuz that's what comedy is it's it's like thinking as fast as you can i think that the interesting thing is that the idea that's going to work it's like Whoever's listening to this podcast, if there's an idea that's going to work for you, it's probably not going to be because you got there first. Like there will always be someone who gets there first. There will always be someone who's better or who's cheaper. It's like the only way you can win is to just be the most yourself. Because if there's a campaign or a project that you're tying a lot of hours to and it's really personal to you, and it's the kind of thing that like kind of only you could say, well, then you can't get scooped on it because it's like entirely yours. You know, it's like if you're going to be first to market, then you need speed and you don't get speed without money. And if you're starting out, you don't have money. So you don't have speed. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Like being yourself, especially in, the, you know, in the types of things that you're doing, like means a lot because you have to like the person you're working with. If you're being forced to be in a room with a bunch of people, like there's that, that aspect of it. And then there's also just your unique perspective that you bring. I mean, you know, I've definitely heard in my day, like the customer says, you know, we're here because of you. Like we like working with you. We want to keep working with you. We're sticking with you. And so like, I get that. I get, I get what you're saying there. And that definitely makes for, um, you know, a lot of value. I think when you're, when you're really in that, um, in that space where you are the the brand essentially that you're having to bring every day to the table. Um, so switching gears a little bit, something I noticed as I was looking through your LinkedIn profile, which may or may not be as accurate as I thought it was, but I'm going to ask anyway, you know, I noticed that you've been doing, or at least talking to a lot of sales copy and having a sales background. I'm really curious, like, how do you go, how do you approach sales content writing, like sales marketing, really helping a brand get more out of like their online retail or online marketing? Uh, I think it's the easiest and best stuff to write is like B2B salesy stuff because you're not like trying to convince someone that like you're nice. Like I feel like a lot of brands, it's like, look, you know, Coke, you know, Coke tastes good. Like you don't need a commercial to convince you that Coke tastes good. You're seeing commercials, so you're kind of like, yeah, I kind of like those guys. They seem nice. But it's like, um, you know, 
with salesy stuff and with B2B stuff, it's like, well, how can whatever you're trying to sell me make me more money? And if you can't answer that question, then uh, you're in trouble. <laughs> so it's like, that's what I like about advertising sales and B2B. It's we're not here to talk about anything, but how can our company or product help your company? It's so simple. You know, we don't need to worry about like, oh, are we injecting enough humanity? Is there enough humor in this? Like, like, is this reaching like, you know, enough quadrants? It's just like, does this ad communicate that like we can help you sell more widgets? And like, if this ad doesn't, then it's like a terrible ad. And so it's fun. It's fun to just be laser focused on. What are the benefits of the product? So is that what makes good copy then focusing on the what's good in the product? I mean, you say it's easy. So I know some people struggle with it. So how do you make it easier or what do you focus on to really make sales copy direct when you're thinking about that stuff? Um, it's, it's honestly the best ad that you're going to see is going to be the one that has as few words as possible. So if like you are listening to this and you're like, how can I make a good ad? It's like the the best ad is a short one. Cause if you're trying to say, it's like, you know, if you're trying to write down all the stuff you're trying to communicate and you're trying to communicate like two or more things, then you're not communicating anything. It's like, you'll be lucky if they remember one thing. So that's kind of the trick. It's like, what's the one thing I want them to remember from this ad. And then you're like, all right, well, how do I add like a tiny bit more to that and a tiny bit more to that, but not too much. And then that's kind of how the process of advertising becomes like an unwieldy mess, which is that oftentimes people start with like the 20 things they want to communicate because they love their product and they think all these 20 things are great or because their boss gave them a list of 20 things. And if all these 20 things aren't in the ad, they're in trouble. So it's like often advertising starts out like in an area of crisis or panic where it's like, we're not selling enough of this thing and we don't have a ton of money. Now you're telling us like we have to spend more money to get people to buy the thing. It's like already that that's bad. You don't want to be coming to us. And then the thing, the other thing about advertising is, well, for it to be effective, we need to blanket it. Like we can't just like run a commercial one time for one guy. Like, and then that costs money too. And so before you've even, and then here's the thing. It's like, and then we run the ads and what if it doesn't work? Like what if at the end of the day, the ad just doesn't work. It just doesn't break through. People didn't like the actor's face. What if it just comes down to something real dumb like that? then you're in a far worse position than you were in before you came to us when you were already in trouble. This is why advertising gets tough because so much is at stake. So much money is at stake, your job, your kid's ability to go to college. And as a result, it's like, well, doesn't it make sense to make the safest thing possible? It, it's what creates the least risk for you. The only reason people play with risk is if they're forced to. 
is if they're like back is against the wall and they're put in like a literal fight or flight situation, then maybe they'll consider like doing something that could get some attention, making a donation, uh, you know, helping a person, helping a group of people. It's like, but until they're pushed to that point, it's it's kind of easier to do nothing, which is kind of where we started with where it was like Bud Light got into this got into the situation and it was easier for them to do nothing than to do something. And of course, it's easier to do nothing. It's much easier. It just doesn't fix the problem. Yeah. Yeah. We can all just stick our hand, heads in the sand, but that's not really going to help the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Um, so it's just. Let's just do nothing then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's just play it safe, not not make any waves, and just do nothing. Sounds Why take good. a stand? Yeah. Yeah. Unless you want to get people angry. Which, which you that. don't. Unless you do. Unless you do. Unless, you do. unless that's somehow linked to a, to a sales goal of yours is riling up an audience. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's our, that's our goal today is to make people angry. Exactly. Uh, it works. Yeah. Yeah. Make us the most hated brand in some political party. That'd be awesome. And people, people kind of live on that too. There's that other side of it. Um, but that's crazy. But anyways, I mean, that kind of brings us to the end. I've got one last question for you, Asterios, um, and we will we will go from there. And that last question is, what is a brand you're in love with right now and why? Oh, my goodness. That's a good question. I really like the brand DraftKings. Really? They advertise everywhere and they do it in a very clever way. They're just like they're in the background and they're not super annoying about it. And like they'll do fun stuff where they'll be like, you can for free gamble on a professional wrestling match. And it's like, that's very silly. It's like, I feel like betting on the finale of Breaking Bad. Like, who's going to live? Who's going to die? It's like, what do you mean I can bet on fiction? It's like, no, you can bet on fiction now. And um, I like what DraftKings does with influencers. I think that like they hire celebrities and I think they hire athletes who are credible and like when they give predictions i get this i do get the sense that they wrote those predictions someone didn't write them for them a 10 seconds beforehand so even if they did even if they are fake they're fooling me and so they're doing a good job i think that their like their their product look and feel is so simple and clean you know just the green and white it's uh, everything DraftKings is doing right now i think is fantastic and i do they have an IPO? Are they huge now? Are they like the I biggest? No, that's yeah. actually a good question. I think I think I, I'm going to look this up. DraftKings IPO. Let me see if they. Yeah. Oh yeah. They yeah they went public a year or two ago. Yeah. Well, oh, wow. That doesn't surprise me. They're doing a good job. They are. They are. Well, that's that's really cool, and they're definitely not a brand that's uh, sitting around doing nothing. No, they have all the money in the world. They have gambling money. Because the house always wins. Because the house always wins. Because there's a thing <laughs> called the big. And so, and yeah, and because of that, they can have fun. They can hire big poppy David Ortiz to tell us who's he, who, who he's going to predict in a completely different sport. If you want big poppies, U.S. Open tennis predictions, you go to DraftKings today. You'll see them. Didn't know he cared. He cares. That's crazy. Um, well, Asterios, thank you so much. Is there anything you'd like to plug or promote while we've got you here? Yeah, look, listen, if uh, you enjoy listening to me be loud on this podcast, then you'll enjoy listening to my very loud podcast. 
the loudest podcast. You can find it anywhere. You can find podcasts, your Spotify's and your iTunes and whatever. And it's a show where my uh, insane terminally online fiance just kind of walks me through the horrors of the internet and I don't like it. <laughs> and you can watch you, then you go to the loudest podcast on YouTube. It's everywhere. Anywhere you can find podcasts, you can find the loudest podcast. And thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, with that, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. Thank Hell you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to We Built This Brand. You can keep up with us at webuiltthisbrand.com. And be sure to follow the show wherever it is you're listening right now. Seriously, it's just a tap or click away after all. And while you're at it, if you've enjoyed this show, please be sure to give us a glowing five-star review. Our producer and host for this episode is yours truly, Chris Hill. Our technical producer is Ashley Lehman. Anissa Ritchie is our assistant producer. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you in the next episode.